Look, uh, welcome everyone to Lupine Transmissions, the podcast where we talk about all things strange, dark and unusual. And uh, today we're going to be talking about King Diamond's first album, Fatal Portrait, and a little bit about the man himself, as you might expect. Uh, I'd like to welcome today's guest, uh, Blake Walker from Discographology fame. And Blake, uh, say hello to the, to the Lupine Transmission listeners. Hello. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I was taken aback that you said discolo- discographology fame. Uh, cause, uh, I mean, I wasn't aware that there was any fame yet, but um, that's very flattering. Thank you. But I think I think it's it's, it's coming if it's not here yet. Like you you got oh. some big listens on the Batman <laughs> Batman well Quan and so on. So. The thing about that is that I have a feeling most of those were by accident. But uh, you know, I'll take it anyway. Yeah, that's it. Ac- accident, accidental listens are still listens. Like, and you know, that's that's an important thing to remember. So, sure. <laughs> uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself, Blake. Where are you from, and uh, the, you know how how did you get into this whole podcasting gig? <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, well, I'm from uh, Missouri, USA, a little place called the Ozarks. Um, I got into podcasting first. I was into audio engineering, and uh, and I played in bands since I was like 16 or 17. Uh, I used to record bands. Um, when that I used to record of... with some fairly uh, prominent metal bands too. I like yeah, you well, worked with yeah. Nile. You know, let's, let's, not, let's not forget Let, that. Right? Yeah, okay. That did happen, but let's not overstate it also. I was an, <laughs> I was an intern in a studio where Nile happened to be doing some work with Neil Kernan. And that may be the most um, uh, 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 high-profile thing I've ever <laughs> I've ever been involved in, and I was literally the guy who got coffee and hung out with the guys, and you know, plugged in cables, um, and you know. Yeah, didn't you play Call of Duty with Carl or something like that? Uh, <laughs> I didn't play. He he um, was playing. I wasn't playing with him. But he did ask me for help uh, doing his, uh, uh, I don't know what martial art it was, but he wanted me to hold his little, uh, the thing that you punch. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but he was like, hey, do you want to you wanna hold this while I do some, some, some punches and stuff? And I was like, okay, I'm an intern. Uh, I, I guess it's my job to do whatever the artist has. They were, they were some of the nicest guys, though, that I... I ever worked with in in my uh, time as a shitty intern. I, I must say that Neil was also a very nice and cool guy. Um, we, so we have a we have a lot of respect for Neil on this podcast because not only has he worked with plenty of big metal acts like Nile and Cannibal Corpse and uh, to name a few, but he was also Hall Notes big producer back in yep. the eighties as well. And we big Hall Notes respecters over at Lupine Transmissions. We- <laughs> Uh, of course we are. He also he li- he liked to tell stories about um, Benny and the Jets and how it was his idea to put the claps on there. So, oh, okay, I didn't know that. That's, yeah, he liked well, there to, you go. <laughs> he like he liked to say which parts of, of famous radio singles were his idea. So he had good, he had good <laughs> stories. Yeah, or you know, Neil, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on as a guest at some point too, and just just regale us with your days in the studio. So, uh. anyway, I, I mostly did. Uh, I I mostly worked with uh, local bands you'll you'll never hear of, um, and then I don't know. Somehow, I just I became I became a fan of of podcasts first. Started listening to a ton of them, and 
somewhere along the way was just like, hey, I think it would be easier to record podcasts, certainly easier than recording bands and stuff. Like, why don't I just do this? Like, everyone's already doing it. Everybody has four or five podcasts. Why don't I? Um, mm, mm. So now I have like four or five podcasts that I work on, and it, it's it's pretty much my entire personality. So, <laughs> and of course your own network too, which uh, the Ox Network, uh, which uh, right. I believe you'll probably be listening to this on. So I, there you if, go. Like, yes, if things go right, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this will be this episode might just be brought to you by the Ox Network, and it would be it would be a, an honor for my network to bring you this this show and and it would mean that Ox has gone full international which which full international. blow my mind Sydney, Sydney office Sydney office yeah, yeah so there's the, the Sydney headquarters and then there's the Springfield Missouri headquarters so the two the two big cities so by you know by yeah, the only cities really like yeah i mean new york and la are kind of you know the that's mm. uh, that's dead <laughs> Springfield is is like the third coast. Basically. We call it the uh, third coast. Only Springfield podcasting is real. So <laughs> yeah, um, like we're real out here. Exactly. Exactly. So I think uh, like we, we might we might start talking about the the king himself, King Diamond, yeah. the man, his legacy, and uh, look. Uh, but before we do that, what are you what are you drinking? Uh, well, it's Ooh. it's lunch at my end but uh, <laughs> it's evening at yours so what, yeah. what are you drinking today it's like it's it's my it's a pre-dinner time drink over here um and it's just some coke zero ice cubes and um a honey evan williams honey whiskey <laughs> so very nice um, very yeah, nice not not a high class drink at all because i didn't know what <laughs> I didn't know what the king would would want me to drink, so I just kind of had to guess. And maybe I don't know if you have insight on that. He could be teetotal th- for all I know. No, I don't think he's teetotal. I think that like he was back in the day, really big on punching darts. Um, you know, lots lots of sm- cigarettes. Uh, though that changed <laughs> for some reasons that we'll get to shortly. Okay. And uh, I, I think just cheap beer, just cheap beer. He used <laughs> to drink with Metallica a lot, uh, but again, we'll also get to that shortly oh, as wow. well. So okay. <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I'm drinking an Ale Smith uh, IPA, a West Coast style India Pale Ale. So let's just get that little crack open as we pale. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, love that there crack. We go. Very nice. Very so nice. Uh, the ale is pale, just like his makeup. Is there? Do I sense a, a connection here? Yeah, yeah. The can, the can is half has got some white in its design. I, I guess just like his makeup. <laughs> but, uh, and there, the truth. there are inverted crosses on the can too. So. Wow! Oh, <laughs> it's actually levitating right now. Wow! And, uh, it's yeah, it's very it's pouring itself it's quite spooky oh yeah like i can the, see on yeah. video tom is doing a dark ritual and he's placed <laughs> the can in the center of a pentagram and tipper gore is uh going nuts over here she's extraordinarily upset but oh, to yeah. be fair when isn't she you know so <laughs> <laughs> um so i guess so uh, what what did you know about king before i Ooh. invited you on this this podcast blake like, that's a good you know question much about him had, no had you yeah okay <laughs> i mean i i don't have a background this is my introduction to king diamond um i i had really before tom i had only heard of him through um like satanic panic 
shows like um, this uh, Mori special. I think it was the Mori special on Satanic Panic that my wife and I watched, like for ironic purposes. And uh, King Diamond and and young people who were fans of King Diamond were prominently featured. I guess he ruffled a lot of feathers. I don't know much about it other than that. He will. He did you, did wears you, cool. Yeah, I'm sure. He must have showed up on the Geraldo one as well in some form. I oh, imagine. you know what? I was thinking of Geraldo, not Maury. It was Geraldo. You're right. That's the yeah. one. <laughs> um, and and that's the one where he does that huge stitch up of Ozzy Osbourne as well, yes, if I remember correctly. That, where the Ozzy interview clearly, yeah, clearly not you know not sober enough to be I contributing mean, anything of, sensible to the conversation. Of but. course, he wasn't sober, but he was. I would say he was more sensible than Geraldo, but Geraldo mm, just kept mm. like cutting him off at the worst times. Like it was a via satellite. It was awful. Well, Ozzy did a, an interview in he, uh, over in Australia in like 2004, kind of off the back of the Osbournes oh, um, yeah. with this local journo called John Safran who sort of got him on and said, look, all this Satanism stuff's kind of bullshit, isn't it? And Ozzy was like, yeah, yeah, I've, I never want anyone to wor- worship the devil or anything like that. It's horrible. I don't want anyone committing suicide or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, he was pretty – Ozzy – turned his life around a little bit by that point so he was a bit more kind of coherent but yeah he just uh made all those satanic panic guys look incredibly stupid so. right um so to get to to learn and and but what what did you think of him when you first kind of saw king diamond because like obviously he's quite theatrical like and yeah and i know you're a big ghost fan so i wondered yes. if you kind of saw um, some kind of continuation there in terms of the look and the, the image and things like that. Yeah, um, I, I should say that I'm not like a, a, a metal person. I'm not a person that's opposed to any kind of metal, but I'm definitely not entrenched in that culture whatsoever. Like um, sitting there wearing a PMRC t-shirt right now. Yeah, like, <laughs> <you> know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a, a Gore 2000. Gore Lieberman, is that who we ran with? Anyway, uh, 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm more into pop rock and that and all that sort of crap. Um, I've been thinking about the connection to Ghost. I, I'm sh- I'm sure all sorts of of metal uh, that came after him uh, owes owes a debt to things he did. Um, obviously, you know, you notice the makeup and it, it's 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 kind of cool and dangerous looking and lots of theatrics. Uh, it, the first thing you notice, um, you know, Ghost is a is a very different band. Uh, I don't see them as all that directly influenced, but um, definitely big costumes, uh, any metal band that, that has costumes, big stage production, um, you know, playing around with satanic themes uh, might, might owe a debt to, to him. Not that he was the first, I'm sure he, he couldn't mm. have been, but um, no, we'll talk a bit about that. Uh, yeah, too, his, uh, <laughs> the the music is uh, sometimes it's not, like it, it it's accessible enough to uh, it's accessible enough like like Ghost is that maybe a non metal fan can can find it enjoyable. Um, and while King Diamond's voice is is uh, different, maybe a polarizing. Lot more, uh, yeah, it's, it, oh, it, I, I see why it's polarizing. Um, yeah. And the the ghost vocals are maybe more acceptable in the pop sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I think King Diamond made it safe for uh, metal vocalists maybe to um, 
to ha- sing in that that higher register, m- maybe more nasally sounding and, and and higher up there. Like it all, it doesn't always have to be uh, low and guttural. Like uh, just because you're you're singing hitting the the high notes doesn't make you any less of a man. And I, I think Tobias from Ghost uh, took that lesson to heart and. And definitely, and he was kind of uh, King Diamond was kind of building off the back of Rob Halford for that from Judas oh, sure. Priest as well. Yeah, the, right. who also, while not as maybe OTT as King Diamond, was very much in that kind of like ah sort of <laughs> yeah, wheelhouse, yeah. you know. The <laughs> so sure. I kind of got into them. So through, heard of King Diamond through Metallica. Because um, when they put out their Garage album back in the day, they actually did a medley of Merciful Fate songs on there, and um, hmm. uh, I might put in a little clip of that. Maybe I won't. I'm not sure if I'd want to get sued by by Lars or, or whatnot. But uh, eh. <laughs> so they <laughs> they uh, they recorded a medley of King Diamond's old band songs um, and called it Merciful Fate. It goes for about eight or nine minutes, something like that. And I think that was pretty influential for a lot of people my age in terms of. Uh, raising their profile and sort of maybe reintroducing them to a new generation um and of course then king diamond himself would end up popping up in guitar hero metallica as well you can play as him as one of the characters yeah 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 i'll have to show you some screenshots later um i'm i'm not really clear on what kind of creature he's meant to be like i think maybe (laughs) he's a vampire like i've Mm. seen some art like that and um uh, when I was younger, in my early 20s, I had a T-shirt where he sort of got fangs and glowing eyes, but he could also sort of be a werewolf. And it's uh, it's a bit vague, but I, I think he's meant to be some kind of supernatural entity kind of thing. Like, there's... I, I don't think he would necessarily see himself this way, but there's huge, like, pro-wrestling sort of vibes. Like, oh, it yeah. amazes me that more people haven't just blatantly knocked off his makeup and things I like mean, that. I so. mean, did, did Sting, like, the, the latter-day Sting makeup, is that, a, is that a total King Diamond knockoff? I think it's more the crow, like, because... Uh. Sting as well would do like the crow call when he came out to the ring and and he, yeah like go car you know and like the crowd <laughs> calls back at him <laughs> yeah my wife just and... made me watch the crow by the way on Devil's Night no less I am um, oh ooh, ooh. oh sorry De- I thought you said Devil's Night from oh, I was De- like what is that no, a, Devil's is this, a, is this an Ozark <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know um, what. Uh, apparently, it's a Detroit thing, according to the Crow. But Devil's Night, October thirtieth, the day before Halloween, yeah. is apparently a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's well, Halloween in general isn't such a big thing over here. But I have heard about Devil's Night and people like run wild and play pranks and really? like you know the the or or across the spectrum from like. You know, cheeky vandalism to like full blown serious crimes kind of thing. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> but but that's yeah. all about all I know about Devil's Night. So <laughs> uh-huh. I know the crow comes out on that night. That's all I know. Yeah, well, th- th- it's been a while since I've watched the crow, but I'm sure we'll end up doing an episode on it for Lupine Transmissions sure. at some point because it is Got that to. kind of like cornerstone of like uh, goth and dark oh, culture yeah. for a lot of people my age and even older and younger too so <laughs> it's a, i so, think it, it launched a hot top hot topics uh built upon the back of the crow i feel like yes 100 percent. yeah the 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 movie that built hot topic like <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah um but so he's uh sting as well as also um 
in real life, like an evangelical Christian. So I suspect he's probably wow. more of a striper guy than, a, <laughs> oh, than a King Diamond guy. But but uh, you never know. You never know. I, I'd be surprised if he's never run across them for sure. <laughs> right. But yeah, I got so, I got big pro wrestling character vibes off of I'm just looking through his uh, Google images of King Diamond for sure. Yeah, and I think that there's that element of like uh, kayfabe around his character, which which we'll talk a bit about now. So, to un to understand King Diamond, we need to go back all the way to 1956 in um, a little town called I think you pronounce it Rodver in Denmark, uh, where he was born as Kim Bendix Peterson. Uh, so he apparently had mostly a pretty happy upbringing, um, and, and sort of, uh, has kind of said like he, he, his parents were kind of strict, but he loved them and has been very positive about them. One thing he has talked a bit, uh, quite a lot about over the years, and I couldn't find a direct interview for this, uh, for this podcast, but I do remember reading about it back when I was maybe at the tail end of high school. Um, he didn't get on with his grandmother very well, who was his mother's mother. Um, she was apparently some kind of religious fanatic. Um, she'd somehow had King Diamond's mum while she was unmarried herself, uh, and then sort of did that old timey thing of like where you pretend that the daughter is your younger sister kind of thing. Uh. Um, and there, there seems to have been some really bizarre sort of complex family dynamics around that. And I have gotten the impression that that's where he first sort of um, uh, came away with a very negative impression of the church. <laughs> um, right. and like a Stephen King villain. Kind of. And, and in some of his later albums, because most of his, not all, but the vast bulk of his albums are kind of concept albums where they, they all tell a horror story and he he has like an evil grandmother character on a couple of them and, <laughs> is is she uh, in this one because this one has like at least a partial concept story right yeah yeah this this one five of the songs are so okay. um yeah but uh but it's not a full concept album right like from from this one he kind of goes all out so um Mm -hmm. So he, I, I think to some degree too, without getting too much into my own personal details, these are some of uh, the reasons uh, King Diamond sort of resonated with me when I was younger, because I grew up in a, um, uh, went to a school that was a slightly strange religious environment, and then as an adult sort of had some uh, fairly negative experiences with the church as well, which, which I maybe won't elaborate on here, but um you know i think there was that resonance there and i could appreciate how like even though philosophically i'm probably on a very different page king diamond <laughs> uh there was maybe that sense of kinship i suppose so right um so he never kind of formally trained as a singer but when he was sort of in his late teens really he, uh, yeah yeah i know right he's got he's so, got like a total like uh you know i i took choir my entire life type of voice yeah very much so and i suspect that probably as he's gotten older he's done certain things to maintain it for sure like because he's still you know he's he's 64 this year he's still obviously this year not so much because of coronavirus but he's been performing live still he can still hit the high notes he doesn't seem <laughs> to have that deterioration that a lot of other people do as they age so um, I can only imagine that he's done 
some stuff to, you know, he's probably taken uh-huh. some lessons in the years since, but you know, it's not how he started out. So he saw, he says that the big turning point for him was seeing Genesis live in the seventies, um, back when, um, Peter Gabriel was still their frontman. And he said, look, Peter Gabriel came out with all this face makeup and mm. it was super elaborate and he had all these costume changes and it was just <laughs> such a sort of sensory overload. Um, and then about a year later, he saw Alice Cooper, who I'm sure it, uh, will come as no shock, was a huge influence of him as well. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and but I would say vocally, and this is not something I've heard talked about a lot, but I did see it on his Encyclopedia Metallum page. Um, he seems to have been really inspired by David Byron, who was the singer for Uriah Heep, who were an English hard rock band who were kind of contemporaries of Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, but for whatever reason have probably never got the, the props that they, they should have. So, um, And if you listen to their – I don't know if you listen to it when I sent it through to you, but I'll put a clip in here of like their track, Bird of Prey, uh, and it all just sort of sounds like – it's from 1970, and it just sounds like a proto-King Diamond or Merciful Fate song, though so, uh, oh, wow. it's – it's like a love song instead of being some kind of horror story or just about the <laughs> devil or something like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I had not I had not heard them and I, I wasn't able to hear that, but that is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you like you'll hear uh, when when we re-listen back to this later that you know you'll you'll hear the resemblance for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely drop that here. Yeah, so he went and played in a couple of different bands where he then developed what would kind of become the sta- the King Diamond persona. Um, so he played in a band called Brainstorm, who are apparently some kind of hard rock thing. And then um, Black Rose. Now, Black Rose um, have actually had some of their material re-released uh, in the wake of him becoming famous elsewhere. Um, so, you know, so one of those okay. random tiny record labels picked up their stuff and, like, distributed, like, here, King Diamond, before he was King Diamond type <laughs> releases, you know. Uh-huh. Um and I think there's a few live videos doing the rounds on YouTube. I haven't listened to it myself, but I'm told it's sort of, you know, in that kind of 70s hard rock vein. But what were maybe they called? Not, uh, you... Black Rose. I thought you said Black Crows. Oh, no, <laughs> not the Black Crows. <laughs> no, no, It no, is very yeah. close to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then he joined a kind of punk band called Bratz, and uh, very quickly <laughs> he got tired of that, and he said, I don't want to play punk. How about we play metal? And Bratz already had a record deal at the time, uh, and they started switching on to metal instead, and their record label cracked the shits and said, no, this isn't what we signed you for. Like, <laughs> um, So Bratz split up, and then he formed a band called Merciful Fate, which I believe featured some ex-members of some of these previous bands. So, Merciful Fate attracted controversy pretty early on. They recorded a self-titled EP, um, which is informally known as Nuns Have No Fun. Uh, and if you look at, if you look up the cover art now, you'll see why it attracted con- controversy. It's got these kind of like satanic cultists crucifying this half-naked uh, woman. Hang on, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, Nuns like she's have no. F- I mean, I'm offended just by the title so far. Mm. Um, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, so that's interesting. It's, it's, yeah, and it's not very typical. Of the, like, I've heard the tracks off it, but the artwork, I would say, is not very typical of kind of their later no. stuff. Uh, you know, um, be, yeah. And they, they ended up on, it was either TV or radio in Denmark with some priest popping off at them about how they were evil and a bad influence on kids. And 
uh, their horror rebuttal was essentially along the lines of like, you know, like, yeah, it's deliberately meant to be offensive, but like <laughs> you guys, you know, with the Inquisition and so on, um, really did burn people alive. So fuck True. off, you know, <laughs> which was just the gist of it. <laughs> but um, did the people they burn alive ever, ever wear um, thong underwear like this is what I want with it with, with an inverted pentagram. I, I don't know. Yeah. Say so the Spanish Inquisition was uh, and the, the witch trials were a pretty wild times. So that, that's, <laughs> there's that, strong that might be black it. and white zine energy to this art, and I like it hugely, hugely. Yeah, it's um, it's just got part of the reason I decided to do this episode was because Merciful Fate and King Diamond just had their first few albums respectively reissued on vinyl earlier this year. Ooh. Um. So the Nuns Have No Fun got reissued, uh, oh, geez, it'd be less than six months ago. And so it's all kind of back out there in print for the first time properly. Like, they, they obviously you could get it all digitally, but there haven't yeah. been proper CD or, or vinyl releases in, in some years. So, These would be yeah. good ones to have up on the, the big vinyl wall because the art is, is so cool. Um, I'm not just talking about the, the Merciful Fate, the... Uh, the King Diamond art. Uh, I'm sure maybe you'll talk about that soon, but um, yeah, it's pretty yeah. awesome. Well, and and well, right now as we're recording, I've got the uh, the picture disc of Conspiracy hanging off off my wall, <laughs> looking oh, down at us. So nice. uh, the which is sort of just a close up of his face, like gritting his teeth, wearing makeup, you know. Like, so <laughs> I I like um, the ones that are more a- abstract uh, a little better. I think. Yeah, and th- and that's totally fair too. The I think the my favorite of theirs is the favorite image of theirs is probably the cover of "Don't Break the Oath," uh, which was Merciful Fate's second album. If you look that one up, it's yeah. just sort of flames with this like helmeted devil like pointing his his finger through it, and you know, ah uh, ah uh, ah, uh, kind of like. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that is that's very cool. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so. This sort of like, but Merciful Fate were kind of tying into a larger movement at the time. So in the, in the early eighties, you didn't really have black metal and death metal and a kind of extreme metal as we know it today. You but you had some of the acts who were pioneering it. Like and and there there's inevitably going to be acts I miss out here. So. Um, mm-hmm. You know, don't worry. It's not so much that I've forgotten about them. It's more just you know constraints of time and space, and not this not maybe being the forum to discuss all of them in depth right now. He's so. not a poser, okay? No, <laughs> Pope. <laughs> People are going to uh, accuse you. Yeah, they they are they are. But so you had the big one who kind of sparked off this really edgy sort of pseudo Satanism thing were Venom, who were this English band who. Couldn't play for shit, um, but were quite <laughs> fun and um, released a few fun albums and uh, had that real image. And they sort of were very open about saying, like, this is an image thing. We're doing it for fun. Like, it's just sort of the logical extension of stuff like Black Sabbath. Um, right. Then over in Europe, you had Bathory, uh, you had Celtic Frost and Hellhammer. Uh, and then in, in South America, you had, uh, in Brazil, I should say more specifically, you had Sarcophago. Now, all of these guys were really kind of noisy and raw, like, and you can see a very close kinship to a lot of um, punk bands there um, in terms of that, like, anyone can do this, you know, just pick up your guitar, plug in, and, like... No um, talent go. required. Yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't go so far as saying they had no talent, but it was definitely, like, they weren't sort of... Um, 
it was quite a contrast to something like, say, Judas Priest, who were all like ultra ultra technical musicians, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. But Merciful Fate and King Diamond himself, with with uh, his latest stuff, were a bit different. They were more in that kind of Judas Priest, Thin Lizzy, uh, Uriah Heep, and Black Sabbath kind of mold. Like, they were a bit more sophisticated than someone like Venom, you know? Like, they'd, have, they'd throw in tempo changes, they'd, uh, uh, you mm. know... D- use all these dual harmony solos. I'd almost even say, like, if you listen to Merciful Fate, you can definitely hear Iron Maiden in there, but I'm maybe more reluctant to list them as an influence because they were kind of contemporaries. So I think it was more that they were drawing on the same sources and ended up in a similar place kind of Mm. thing. Um, But definitely they ended up being a big influence visually and lyrically on some of the later bands that would follow, like some of the... um, you know, the Norwegian black metal bands and obviously death metal bands like Morbid Angel and, and that sort of thing too. So, but but again, like th- this is a more, this, this stuff probably warrants an episode in and of itself. So we won't get too deep into it here. Sure. But uh, one of the bands that were, they were really big influence on were Metallica. Metallica got hold of Nuns Have Ho- No Fun. <laughs> and uh, then their second album, uh, sorry, their first album, Melissa, um, and Metallica became very good friends with them. They hung out a lot because Metallica recorded Ride the Lightning in Denmark, and so they'd hang out and party and drink together. They're still all very close friends today, apparently, too. And King Diamond's oh. come out and performed with Metallica on stage a few times. So, um, uh, Now, but Melissa is particularly notable because a couple of years after it came out, there was a song on there called Into the Coven, which ended up on the... Uh, now, Blake, what do you know about the PMRC and uh, <laughs> Tipper Gore and uh, all the all the um, fun they were as a collective? Well, I know that she uh, she ruined music and took all the fun out of it. Um, <laughs> yes. At some point when I was a teenager, I, I read the Tipper Gore book where she described how uh, I, I think the, the, the impetus for her whole tirade was listening to a, a, a Prince album where, where he yeah, talked about darling nikki exactly talked about uh you know the the sexy stuff a little too much and so she had to to take music away from everyone at that point but uh uh yeah they're responsible for those those fun stickers on our records and um is that i don't know if if that's that's the same uh worldwide like is is the pmrc a worldwide um, organization? No, 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 no. It was just America, and it's oh, France okay. now. But you know, America being the um, dominant cultural force, this definitely had an influence over here. And so sure. now, like when you buy an album over here, it still has warning stickers on it a lot of the time. Like, yeah. though it's never been quite as like rigid over in Australia. There, there are a handful of albums I remember like ha- that had an eighteen plus sticker on them <laughs> for a while, where in theory they couldn't be sold to anyone under eighteen. The one that always sticks with me is um uh toxicity by system of a down was was classed as 18 plus like yeah which i never understood because there's not even like i think they say fuck a few times on there but there's not you know like i can definitely have other records that were uh, more obviously profane i think (laughs) i think they were very uh very capricious with the way they'd slap the stickers on there sometimes you could say fuck a few times sometimes you couldn't I remember having a no joke an Aphex Twin album that had that on it, um, almost no lyrics to speak of, <laughs> yeah, uh, like almost none. 
and I don't even I I I don't recall hearing any swear words or anything like that. Not sure why that was there. Well, after after that, Frank Zappa was one of the people who was really critical of the PMRC. Yeah, and he um ended up with a uh, explicit language sticker on one of his instrumental albums, which uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> yeah. So they would yeah, do it's... things just out of spite. Yeah, it it was total. It was total bullshit. It was a form of economic censorship, uh, if not like literal uh, sabotage of speech. Yeah, yeah, because you you had situations, and as far as we don't really have that thing over here, where like I know you guys have like Walmart versions of albums where Ugh. they they bleep out the swears and stuff like that. What a that's joke. not really a thing in Australia, um, yeah. and it's and it's very rare that like. People always like to say Cannibal Corpse had some albums banned over here, but I don't think they ever actually did. Like, you, I remember in the period they were banned, you could still buy them very easily. Like, those those kind of censorship laws are not really enforced over here, like, or, or even taken that seriously in the first place. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but so anyway, like, the PMRC after Tipper Gore got all on edge about um, Prince having a song about masturbation and, yeah. you know, did did a real hand wringing think of the children thing formed the PMRC, which was short for Parents Musical Resource Center, and put together a list called the Filthy Fifteen. Which um, <laughs> I did not know this. This, this yeah, is going to be good. So it was like fifteen songs that are that are ruining America. Essentially, I don't think that's explicitly what they called it, but it was like. And if you look at it now, it's just the most innocuous kind of like. I understand why parents would have gotten pissy about it. And particularly with Merciful Fate, because this was also happening in the middle of the Satanic Panic, which, oh, again, yeah. is something that warrants, like, a discussion in itself. That's but, a whole, like, series <laughs> whole of Whole series, yeah. Yeah, you can do a whole podcast oh, on, yeah. on its own on the Satanic Panic. Yep. Um, but so... The Merciful Fates Into the Coven was one of the songs on there, and it was uh, flagged because it had occult themes. And, like, if you listen to it, and I should drop in a snippet here, but it's essentially, like, talking about joining a cult and, like, uh, you know, pledging yourself to Lucifer and things like that. get why parents didn't like it but it's also like it just seems very like to me hammer horror or vincent price or boris karloff sort of like 
It, it right. like I can't imagine anyone listened to this and thought I need to like pledge myself to the devil. Like maybe some people the, did. Like metal metal fans are an odd bunch, to be fair. <laughs> but you, I think they, it, everyone was. You got to realize there are there's a cross section of people in in my country that um, do see uh, the Universal monsters as of the devil like they they're they're that out there and wacky <laughs> i i've i have met people like that and and that's maybe something that we should discuss offline rather than here like but, um, <laughs> yeah i i've definitely met people like that but i would say that it's not like in australia it's certainly not a mainline belief like and other people like even fairly conservative old church ladies would look at you a bit strangely if you thought the creature from the Black yeah. Lagoon was demonic or something like yeah. that. I like, mean, I, I'm not going to go into it, but my one of my best friend's dad uh, threw <laughs> his uh, Slimer plushie away because it was possessed by a demon. So, yeah, yeah. You know, the, that, the, that's America. Yeah, yeah. It's very... There's a lot going on. So, you know, and, and it was happening in a wider atmosphere of a lot of, like, moral panic and this and that and the other. Um, uh, but I think that most people kind of understood that this was essentially, whether or not you feel it's in good taste or whatnot, it was a form of theatre. It's kind of, it's, and I, I don't necessarily want to keep going back to the wrestling analogy, but I'm going to. Um, it's, That's fair. It's, it's like that. It's that suspension of disbelief. It's like watching a horror film. It's, if you're not the right mindset to appreciate this it's the silliest fucking thing in the world like, well it's like it's... The, my main point of reference again is is ghost the, mm, the metal mm. band I, i'm most currently into right now do i think that they actually have a a dark church <laughs> that they are broadcasting from that's the lore behind the band and they the, don't this, this whole <laughs> it's like they, they don't. They, they, there's n not actually a dark pope called Papa Emeritus. Like, yeah, like this is a made up thing. <laughs> it's, there's not actually a new Papa Emeritus for each new album. It's like it's just the same guy. You mean up, he's like. he's it's a it's a guy in a mask? What? <laughs> what? What? What the? Oh, sorry, ghost spoilers for anyone who didn't know. Like, oh, yeah. It, it's, sorry, it's, it's kind of like spoiling one. wrestling for a child that might think it's real. But yeah, it's just like the, no. I, I was always pretty happy to do like uh, no. That's that's just a story of me being mean to a kid. So I went. I went to, like, like, <laughs> oh, no. the, a, Another kid, time. A kid I knew who was a, a kid I knew who was a massive John Cena fan right there. But that's just, you know. But yeah, it's kind of like people who think the Undertaker is actually from hell or the Kane Kane. <laughs> is a real demon or that hulk hogan actually has magical powers that let him hulk up and like you know come back from or any the... sort of brutal assault or the ultimate warrior is actual actually from space or like... or that the, the the fiend is an actual multiple personality <laughs> yeah exactly like you know Which i do believe i believe in the fiend yeah the, the fiend the fiend the fiend is i'm a fan of the fiend i yeah. uh, uh, Bray Wyatt himself is a complex person, um, uh, but but the fiend is definitely something I can get behind. Like so, <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, but yeah, so I definitely get why parents didn't weren't fans of this, and were kind of like, I don't know how comfortable I feel about my kid listening to like this guy who might be a vampire but might not scream <laughs> out like, pledging themselves to the devil. Like uh, I I can I can get get 
that point of view do i think we needed to have like a whole senate inquiry about it absolutely not like what bullshit so um and i've always been surprised that al gore because obviously he wasn't spearheading this like it was tipper gore but al was right often in some capacity and i've always been surprised that he hasn't been more heavily criticized over the years for how much time and money he wasted or helped oh, waste yeah. um it, you know it's a for crime this, they, for this they, bullshit. i feel like <laughs> they got away with it and we don't we don't talk about wh- mm. what those people did anymore well in 2015 rolling stone did a feature that was about um it was kind of the filthy 15 where are they now like and yeah some of the acts on there were there were people like uh as well as merciful fate who were quite obscure at the time in the u.s like they had a following in the metal community but this was probably the most press right. they'd ever got you know <laughs> like, sure. it, i mean i'm sure it boosted their numbers it absolutely had to it did so um but you also had like it's it's pretty easy uh, stuff you should know did quite a good episode on it a while uh, maybe a few years ago where they kind of talk about Mm. like this was just a way for them to target music that either poor people or out of the mainstream people like so there there was rap on there there was uh sort of metal and it's just kind of like you were targeting um not to say that like white metal fans are marginalized or anything like that um but more that you are deliberately singling out certain groups here for criticism when like you know uh led zeppelin uh, when we know that robert plant uh, not robert plant when we know jimmy page had an underage girlfriend is strangely not up for criticism and things like that you know like <laughs> right you, you being... smith was aerosmith on the table Whether i don't know that they were J- judas priest were on there acdc were on there um venom were on there uh, uh i can't remember all of them off the top of my head but it's very easy to find if you google F- filthy 15 you'll find it um, the, the rest was probably rap, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, like there was, and uh, Sheena Easton was on there too um, for, for <laughs> okay. her song "Sugar Walls." Um, oh yeah, well, because you know, a female pleasure can't, yeah, can't be having that. But, but it's just like "Sugar Walls" is as evil as um, as "Into the Coven," apparently. You know, like, that's, uh, that's... <laughs> well, it's all it's all witchcraft. <laughs> so in so rolling stone did this feature in 2015 and uh is kind of where are they now and king diamond said quote it's it seems funny because today what people are writing about makes those times seem so quaint even back then we didn't think what we were writing about was very extreme i think we're on tour in 1985 sorry 80, he says 85 and we saw an article with us listed in usa today and we we're all like wow someone's reading about us <laughs> someone's writing about yeah. us we can't believe yeah we barely set foot in the US and were already that big. Then we realized it was a sort of shit list and the whole thing was just pathetic. We thought they must be really bored to have time for this. How they saw those songs said more about them than it did about us. They had some really perverted minds. It was funny, ridiculous, surprising. Thanks for the promotion, Tipper. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, re- really, that that had to have taken them out of obscurity. 100%. Like, you know, tip, tip, thanks for that, Tipper Gore. You helped, like, more kids get turned on to some cool metal. So, you know. <laughs> right. And, and, and it's not it's not like I knew much about the song Darling Nikki until she put a big spotlight on it, you know? <laughs> no, no. I, I think we all kind of knew Prince's songs were about sex. It's not like he was very subtle. But why, why was <laughs> that one the deal breaker? <laughs> like, was, <laughs> are you telling me Prince was horny? Uh, he... he Prince definitely was having the sex. Like um, he, he was at first, and then I, I think his music became very, very 
the whatever the opposite of horny is. Well, he ended up that, becoming a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, like, yeah, th- that's and, the lifestyle yeah. choice. Yeah, and then I think he was still having a lot of the sex, but within the confines of marriage, you know. So right, <laughs> so, yeah, no mm. sinning. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, I think he did modify some of the lyrics to some of his older songs and. I don't even, yeah. to be honest, I, I don't even know how much of that was being a J-dub so much as, like, maybe getting a bit older and thinking, oh, maybe there, there's some things I say here that I wouldn't, have, you know, that I said in my early 20s that now that I'm 40-something seem a bit embarrassing, you know? like And, and I have yeah. always had mixed feelings about that, but I can kind of get the thought process, you know? like But certainly, you know, I don't think Darling Nikki was the song that was going to bring down a nation. <laughs> <laughs> so there are riots in the street over that song <laughs> so um i loved merciful fate as a particularly in my late teens and early 20s um you know they're one of the few metal bands from the time with good production and you can actually hear their bass <laughs> in contrast to rick rubin's slayer style of production and that that kind of thing um, yeah. And their stuff very much sounds of the era uh, while still being very modern. I think all of this stuff you could put out now and it would still be received very positively. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're very, very much beloved. So they recorded one more album, which was Don't Break the Oath, uh, which we were talking about the cover just before. And then they split up. And there's sort of different reasons that have been given over the years as to why they split up. Um, The story I had kind of heard when I was first getting into them was that um, apparently some of the members were tired of the kind of horror, satanic image and um, wanted to do something a bit more commercial. And King Diamond in the last couple of years told a story in an interview that he knew that one of the guitarists wanted to play something more commercial and he kind of knew that Merciful Fate was uh, was done when this member turned up to rehearsal in a pink tracksuit and was sort of like, this This is, I don't think this is what we're going for, mate. Like, you know, um, and... Pink tracksuit? What what kind of genre was, was he going for? I, I think apparently he was listening to a lot of funk and stuff at the time. So that sort of does seem on brand with, with like some of those kind of um, looks that you'd see like, you know, Midnight Star or something having at the time. Yeah. Um, there's but, a there's a legend about uh, I think Dee Dee Ramone was he the one with the rap career showing up to practice oh, yeah. in like Mercedes chains and stuff and be like, well, I'm a, I'm a rapper now. Yeah, and you know, and gosh, weren't we all you know better off for, for him having done that? You know, <laughs> I'm very glad he did that. Yep. <laughs> but I think it's sort of sort of like when the guy from Corn had a rap album fe- field a rap album or two back in the day. I, like, did, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, F- Fieldy's <laughs> Dreams, the first one was called. I think he put out another one. And, and he, he will tell you himself, he's like, it's not good, you know? <laughs> so, well, um, hey, at least he's honest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, like, please, please don't misunderstand. None of this is to have a go at other stuff or, or, or no, rap no. or anything like that, you know? Um, no. it, it's uh, th- This is not criticism of that, more just that I can see why there was maybe a a split within the band about future directions and that kind of thing. So, um, and I think he, this particular guitarist ended up leaving and forming his own sort of more glam kind of hair metal sort of band for a while called, they were just called like fate. Um, (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Just dropped the merciful. Like, um, so I've not listened to them, so I can't really give too much insight on them, but merciful fate did eventually reform some years later. But again, we'll get, we'll get to that in more detail later so um 
King kind of said, like, well, no, I want to go even darker. And so he formed a new band, which was also called King Diamond, uh, and still is. And he brought along Michael Denner and Timmy Hansen from Merciful Fate um, on guitar and bass, respectively, and then brought in a new guitarist called Andy LaRock, who is still with the band to this day. I think it's just King and... Andy are the only original members left in, in 2020, but they, King and Andy Rock have had a very um, uh, fruitful songwriting partnership ever since. Though, funnily enough, he didn't write anything on Fateful, Fatal Portrait. Um, hmm. So um, that kind of brings us to Fatal Portrait. Um, so that was released in 1980, and there'll be a little more bio stuff to come after because obviously Fatal Portrait was 34 years ago now. <laughs> Um, That came out in 1986, and it was released on Roadrunner Records, or Road Racer as it was known back then. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, these days, if you're a newer metal fan, you probably mostly know Roadrunner as being like one of the absolute shittiest labels in the world. Um, (laughs) They're most famous for inflicting Nickelback (laughs) onto all of us. Did they do that? Yeah, I don't think Nickelback is still with them now, but they were signed to them for a while. And... um, they had Slipknot. I think they still do have Slipknot. Um, and they had a lot of other... Uh, one of the criticisms that's always been leveled at Roadrunner is that they're very trend-hoppy. Um, so, like, Slipknot took off and sold a huge amount of records for them right as new metal was taking off. Um, and then they signed uh, Nickelback when just terrible music was taking off, apparently. So, <laughs> but rock. Yeah. But yeah. I'd, see, I, I don't really know what the logistics are behind that term. Like, is it meant to be just like mean, like shitty rock or something like I that? I don't but, know yeah. where the butt term came from. All, mm. I, I just know they call it butt rock. Mm. The music's got awful either way. So the <laughs> it, but, sa- it sounds like a butt. I don't know. Yeah, but hard as it may be to believe, in the in the early eighties through to probably probably about the mid nineties, Roadrunner were considered or Road Racer were considered a really legit sort of metal label. Like they had Merciful Fate, they had King Diamond. After Merciful Fate split up, they had a lot of early death metal bands like Obituary and Gore Guts and things like that. Um, so the, the, there was a lot of good stuff on, on there back in the day, hard as it may be to believe now. Um, so King Fatal Portrait. So like this is this is your first time listening to it. So what are your initial impressions, Blake? Um, yeah, it was my first time, and um, it, it it's kind of tough. To, though it's accessible enough. Uh, in, in terms of metal, it, it's, kind, it's kind of tough to penetrate you, if you're not familiar with all the, all the tropes. Um, and, and like you're talking about a polarizing vocal style. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> that that may be the, the toughest thing to penetrate because uh, obviously it's very instrumentally really well done. Um, I think the production is great. And his he you can't deny he's, he's a very good singer. It's just the, the style um, is... is, is uh, <laughs> Uh, what's the word for it? it it's no, not grading. I, I should add, I, I knew that Blake Blake is not a big metal guy, but that's part of the reason I invited him on, in part because he does the Discographology podcast, but also in part because it's yeah. outside of his wheelhouse. And mm-hmm. to metal fans, we can be very insular, and it, it's good every now and then to see how people outside of that world view these things too, I think. so. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know if... if maybe your average metal fan hears, hears vocals like this and, and it, it's just, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, can get right into it. But um, uh, I think a lot of the like parodies of, of metal <laughs> acts that that came after might have been influenced by the way King Diamond sings. Um, it's like an an extremely high, extremely loud in the mix, uh, screeching falsetto uh, with a severe amount of of vib- vibrato on it. Yes, and I, 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 it, it did in fact grow on me. It just took a little while to penetrate. It took several listens, mm, uh, but mm. uh, yeah, I can get more granular on it on it later. But um, th- there, there's a lot to like here. But uh, yeah, if 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 you're not a, a metal fan, you may not like it immediately i i would say even in the metal world his vocals are polarizing like he's he's a very beloved figure as a general rule like because he's he's always stayed pretty true to what he wants to do and he's not really been one of those guys who like uh, you know and and i'm gonna single them out here because they're another roadrunner roadrunner records band as well and i think they're really shitty um like say machine head who um released a couple of kind of like sub Pantera albums and then saw mm-hmm. new metal was a thing. So they became like new metal guys. And then after new metal died out, they sort of went back to being kind of semi thrash and um, sort of expected heaps of praise for being like real metal. And it's like, well, no, we remember like what you did. <laughs> like you've just trend hopped from trend to trend and like you've stuck with the mm-hmm. sort of being quote unquote real metal now for quite some time but like just because it's quote unquote real doesn't mean it's actually any good you know (laughs) so um yeah he's never been one to do that not to say he's not changed his style at all like obviously band members have come and gone over the years and that inherently brings certain tweaks but i think he knows what he wants to do and he he you know what you're gonna get like he is going to tell you a spooky story about spooky things happening to spooky people and it's sort of this uh, you know auditory equivalent of a horror movie and then you can think about some of the deeper you know if you want to philosophical underpinnings of that <laughs> or, yeah, or not he, or not he's, like he's yeah. gonna he's gonna impersonate crying babies he's gonna do a uh a, a squeaky falsetto uh evil laugh and mm. uh there i i didn't get a, a hint of um insincerity off of this thing at, at all you mm. know, um you know and at some love point, it or hate it, it, it's real. I think. And in, and in and at most point and in most of the songs, at some point he'll um sort of come in in this kind of voice, which is yeah. sort of semi-normal one, and like say the title. So he'll be like, "Ah, oh, it's Halloween!" <laughs> I like, I love that. I love that he <laughs> on one of the best songs he mm. announces it's Halloween. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think. He, the way he has talked about the difference, so if you ask him, he'll kind of say that Merciful Fate was very much a kind of Tales from the Crypt sort of enterprise. Like, it was sort of fun, zany horror stories. Um, And then he sort of claims, like, so I don't know if he's actually a card-carrying member of the Church of Satan, um, but mm. but he's had sort of association with them at different times, and he sort. Of- I've heard that. I wanted to know what what you if this was bullshit or not. <laughs> I think it's his Wikipedia that's like uh, yeah. So he practices Levian Satanism. Satanism. Yeah. So I think I think one thing we need to keep in mind that they're like again 
you know, uh, maybe I don't like, like, so the, the distinction is like with someone like Alice Cooper, like we very much know that that's a stage persona and, uh, yeah. you know, he's done so many interviews over the years. He's been such a public figure for so long. Um, if you met him, of course you'd call him Alice Cooper, but his name, his real name's like Vincent something or other, you know, like, um, Price. Vincent, <laughs> Vincent Price. Same Alice, guy, yeah, same guy. Same, same guy. Um, but we know that in real life, like Alice Cooper is like a Republican guy who loves playing golf. <laughs> and is he is he like a born again Christian or something weird? Yeah, like that? yeah, he he is, and I think he has been since like the seventies. Like I think I don't think he was ever like he got sober in like nineteen seventy four or something, and I think that pretty much and he's he's been married to the same wife for for years and years, and like that that, that you know these these not like. Uh, um, the Republican thing is a, is a criticism, but the, but the other stuff not so much. Like <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. it's it's kind of like I can see why you needed to get sober because you're in a chaotic situation. Yeah, I see why Christianity sure. is helpful to you. Um, do yeah, I think you sure. needed to go and extend that into voting for George W. Bush? Absolutely not. Like no, you know, no. <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll I'll criticize him a little bit for the golf. Because yeah, that the is golf, a, like, yeah, a stupid it's, sport. Yeah, it's a huge waste of land. Turn it, tear, exactly. tear down all golf courses, turn them to public housing. Yep. So, Absolutely. Um, but but again, like you know, would I mind if you went and played like Tiger Woods golf or like there was a driving range? No, no, like that that's that doesn't really bother <laughs> me. But like we know this stuff about Alice Cooper. He's not really a mystery. Um, yeah. you know, and and he's very open about it. He's like, this is what I do on stage, and like other people like that too, like Ozzy Osbourne. Um. You know, he's had uh, – I remember reading an article about Randy Rhodes, who was Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist for a short time before he was unfortunately killed in a in a plane accident. And he kind of – like, they were talking about how, like, Ozzy had already had a lengthy career with Black Sabbath, and so he was used to having all these Bizarro fans come backstage and, like, give him odd gifts like dead bats or <laughs> bones or, you know <laughs> – and they'd be bones. like, and they'd be like, you know, you know, Ozzy, please, you can use this in your ritual or something like that. And Ozzy was sort of just very gracious <laughs> yeah, with all yeah, these okay. oddballs and kind of like, oh yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. You know, like you know, because he kind of knew like there's this persona. Some people are, don't quite get it, but like, but, who might like just these bones? I'll, I'll do ritual with yeah, them do, later. Yeah, I'll do ritual with them later. It'll be. You know, Sharon, Sharon, can you take these bones for me? You know, <laughs> thank you, love. Um, but in real life, like you know, uh, I heard someone describe Ozzy as like crypto Christian recently, and and they're probably pretty spot on, to be honest. Yeah. Like you know, why um, would you? Well, I is is Chris Pratt a, a crypto Christian? I'm no, no, Chris, no, or... no, no, Chris Chris Pratt's an overt like member of Hillsong and so okay. on. I, I have a lot of. Oh, I think about... he's a crypto crypto Trumper, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I'd call him maybe more a crypto Republican or crypto Trumper yeah. or something like that. Yeah. 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 Whereas Aussie, I think, sort of the the mystique is gone. You know, like because we've all seen him stumbling around on the Osbournes and like yelling shout, <laughs> having arguments about whether or not he wants a bubble machine on stage. <laughs> It's funny that that was 16 years ago, but that's the only Aussie we're ever going to remember. <laughs> yeah, and like he has sort of, and I think he's sort of oddly okay with it. You know, like he just works. With, like so. I wouldn't be. He did not look good. No, no, but I think he sort of know. Like, but he looks a lot better than he did in the 80s. Like, I'll have to send you this interview clip with him later, and he's like, 
yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> it depends. It, I guess it depends on what period you catch him in. Like, like how messed up was he? You know, yeah, that month. Exactly, exactly. So, whereas King Diamond has kept his mystique a bit better, and I think part of that is him um, just not being as much of a public figure as someone like Alice Cooper or Ozzy Osbourne is. I think that's always better. Mm. If I can interject my opinion, it's why I prefer a Trent Reznor to a Marilyn Manson. Mm, mm, I, I, mm. I I think just keeping that that bit of mystique uh, over the the competition, so to speak, makes you more in, in, intrigued and, and maybe even respect the artist more. Well, well, that's it. That's it. And so he he tells various stories that are so he he definitely has had some kind of association with the Church of Satan at some point with with the with Anton LaVey's Church of Satan. Uh, well, that he's European. So. Yeah, th- yeah, he's Danish. They, they, they all, all do. Yeah. They all do. You, you're given a card when you're born, you know. Like, <laughs> right. Um, right. So he um, apparently, what sort of happened is he read the Satanic Bible when he was Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible when he was relatively young and found it influential and helpful. Um, you know, that's obviously a broad, uh, you know, sort of, I've read lots of books that were influential and helpful to me too, you know, <laughs> so yeah, like, exactly. how, much, how, much, how much does that mean day to day? I don't know, but certainly exactly. it plays into the mystique. Um, he has a story about meeting Anton LaVey in the late 80s and being given a Baphomet pin by him. Um, apparently they talked for quite some time and later on King Diamond sent him, uh, sorry, um, Anton LaVey sent King Diamond a letter, which he still possesses to this day. That part I don't have any problem believing is true because he, um, yeah, I've heard a few stories about like, you know, quote unquote, controversial people meeting Anton LaVey and a lot of them relate <laughs> kind of very similar stories. Like Marilyn Manson talked about meeting him and sort of like, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, Anton was so cool with me that he made me an honorary reverend or something like that. And I'm like, well, may- maybe he was and probably was, but, like, also do you think he maybe saw the, the value of a good PR stunt? Because, like, that's what he, that's what Anton LaVey everybody, did. Everybody <laughs> in the 90s was an honorary reverend. He was passing mm. that stuff out like candy. That's exactly it. He was like, well, I haven't done any, like, the edgy stunts since the 60s or the 80s <laughs> yeah, so like yeah exactly. giving Marilyn Manson an honorary reverendship seems great like you know um, well uh, Man- Manson's never embellished anything he's not known for that no 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 his his book uh the heart long hard road out of hell definitely isn't full of <laughs> the, shit or anything the book like that, that he wrote yeah he, now the, he wrote the, it he wrote every word that he definitely wrote and and he's like highly true and like not unbelievable or at all like you know? I'm sorry I'm being I'm I'm being negative. Uh, it, it, uh, no, we, it's fine. We're not here to bash other artists. I'm no, not. but it's fine to criticize, criticize Marilyn Manson. Like, he's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I have some... And same with Anton LaVey. Like, I have a lot of very mixed feelings about Anton sure. LaVey. I... If I was to put it out there, I'd say, like, I appreciate why his certain of his ideas are res- resonated with people and continue to. Um, on the other hand, he also plagiarized a fascist tract called Midas Right to create the Satanic Bible. And oh, has boy. sort of, like, been pretty happy to associate, the you know, the Church of Satan with some pretty dubious people over the years. And he might quite rightly yeah. say, well, so is the Church and blah, 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 and fair enough. Like, he, he's yeah. dead now. He's not here to answer back. But I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, we already knew. He he seems, as a person also, that he, he just sort of lo- loved the drama, so mm, to speak. Mm. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that his daughter Zena um, uh, disavowed his surname and apparently refuses to open a any mail that's addressed like Zena or they, and we'll just throw it straight in the bin. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. did not know that. Okay. Yeah, she's she's quite a character in her own right. Probably, probably. She's got a cool name. Yeah, yeah. Pro probably the Church of Satan warrants its own episode at some point. But look, I've never been a member, sure. so I don't. Um, want to speak too out of turn you know i, I just sure. have reservations shall we say um mm. so but the story he does tell is he, uh, the so one of the big things for people who don't know is that the modern church of satan as established by anton levey uh, is essentially like an atheistic semi-humanist but kind of like I don't want to say social Darwinists, that's that's not the right way, but they're, they're not supernatural believers as a rule. So he, but King Diamond seems to have some kind of supernatural beliefs, and this is where we really move into the like, is this kayfabe or is this, um, is this real sort of territory? So yeah. he has a few stories about living in a haunted apartment and experiencing <laughs> a bunch of supernatural phenomena there. Lars and James from Metallica are over one night while they're recording um, Ride the Lightning, uh, and they were there for one big event. And King Diamond sort of said, oh, Lars and James didn't really recognize the importance of it. They were too drunk at the time, which, to be fair, is, is, is not an inaccurate comment about Metallica in the, the early to mid-80s. <laughs> like, they were, they were pretty big right. party boys. Um, but... It, <laughs> Either way, I, I think, yeah, there's there's something there, but I, I think it is more difficult to untangle that, like, stage persona from the real person. As, as, to, to, to cut a very long story short, I, I don't think there's a clear as clear-cut a distinction between the stage persona and the the, the real-life man, Kim Bendix-Peterson, you know? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Yeah, they bleed yeah. into both, I suspect. Okay. Mm. Yeah. But so, what, what, what was the big uh, kind of standout track to you? Do you think of, of what well? I mean, to? I already kind of mentioned Halloween, so we <laughs> we we were just uh, if you listen to my podcast discography, my band and when I were you just listen doing, when you listen <laughs> when you listen to it, we do this thing annually where we exchange uh, Halloween mixtapes and. Um, Shortly after we had already done all that, I, I come across uh, Tom gives me this album to listen to, and it's got this track <laughs> called Straight Up Halloween. Um, and I'm like, well, shit, this is my opener on next year's Halloween mix <laughs> because it opens with a an awesome guitar riff and then just, <laughs> it's Halloween. It's, Halloween. <laughs> it's like the, there there is no no better way, I don't think, to open a Halloween mix track. Uh, and it's it's got... Uh, really cool uh, a really catchy chorus um with um what something he does many times on this album that i that i like but very notably <laughs> on halloween is the uh uh vocal harmonies that he does it's uh you know his own voice overdubbed um he, so he's doing that uh heavy vibrato but like the part where it's uh halloween uh you are my pride you are my pride. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like that. That there's like a three part, I think, harmony, all doing that vibrato, <clears throat> and uh, that that happens throughout the album, of course. But it's like now, this was 1986, but now people people will will pay good money for an engineer to use auto tune to fake that kind of vibrato <laughs> three part har harmony. Yeah, and yeah. he did it. 
it, like with laser focus, he did it. Uh, you know, w- with without Pro Tools, uh, I, I found that impressive. And once you kind of let yourself adapt to it, it it, it sounds pretty cool. He he does um, play other instruments too. Like he also plays guitar, and I, I think he might yeah. play drums as well. Like not to um, not not live or anything, but I think he he sort of yeah. uses them to um, songwrite. I guess like it, keyboard you know, yeah. is like is he so the it, the album opens with this cool organ intro thing. Oh the yeah, the um, handle yeah yeah it's super spooky. Dude, I was wondering dude, dude, if he was doing the organ because apparently he does keyboards too um i i honestly don't know um it wouldn't surprise me if it was like some second oh, yeah. guy or something like that um the sure. it's 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 they're pretty i look i don't have the physical album in in front of me so like perhaps it says on there i'll, I'll see if there's any uh let's see right. line up yeah it doesn't mention it other other stuff photography yeah it doesn't mention it on here but there's a few things like that on some of merciful fates albums too like on don't break the oath there's a song called the oath um and uh, that opens with synth and i've never been able to track down who played mm. that you know like, i so i suspect it's just whichever guitarist felt most confident playing it or whichever producer yeah. confident sequencing it you know like it, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, album credits are, are not always the most uh informative and reliable uh e- even to this day um, yeah yeah but, yeah i mean speaking of the the candle it, for a metal album you cannot go wrong with a spooky organ intro <laughs> mm. great way to start off your your metal album i've got to say well it's sort of like a church hymn gone wrong or something isn't it you know like the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a dark church yeah, yeah an evil ch- a church like the one <laughs> ghost is secretly running like, <laughs> um yeah, and and he and they do go to that kind of ominous keyboard intro on a few tracks, like the Jonah opens with that as well. So does the portrait, like so you've got three songs. The right candle, it. the Jonah, yeah, the portrait. Now, so for those who haven't listened, and I I do recommend you do listen. Like most of King Diamond's albums are like, uh, as we mentioned before, a concept albums. So like the whole album tells one story. In this case, um, it's only quote unquote five of the nine songs that are part of the story. <laughs> So the first four songs, The Candle, The Jonah, The Portrait, Dressed in White, and then the final track, Haunted, are all part of the one story. And then uh, tracks five, six, seven, and eight are are not part of it. So um, they're just kind of standalone, spooky, horror horror business. The the first four, um, from what I can tell, are are side A of the vinyl. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, which mm. th- so that that that's kind of nice and neat. How you've got your your short story concept on side A, mm. it, it, I and I guess the the final track. So haunted is the last track. Is that correct? Yeah, that's so. Some of the reissues have um, bonus songs tacked onto <laughs> there, but but on the original a Christmas, <laughs> yeah, as a, a, a spooky Christmas song. Yeah, the <laughs> um, which we'll we'll talk about in a sec as well. Oh yeah, uh, but I got uh, to talk about it. <laughs> But uh, Haunted is the, the final track on the original yeah. release. So it's yeah. like, I, I, I don't know if it's meant to like bookend the whole thing with like, oh, I'm going back to the story. Does it tell the end of the story? Yeah. I, I got to admit, I didn't follow it 100%. No, it's essentially about like this mother who locked a little girl into an attic, I think. And then like mm. the girl died and now her ghost is um, haunting the, the attic. And then like the, the narrator 
frees the spirit and then the spirit goes and haunts the mother till she's insane it's something like that which which i will say is is very typical of king diamond there's always like <laughs> someone getting haunted or like ominous ghosts and like <laughs> i wouldn't say and and this is not a criticism it's more of an observation i wouldn't say he necessarily presents like a uh, consistent universe across his albums it's just kind of it's that real sort of horror thing where like spooky things happen because spooky things happen you know like uh sure you know and if you break it down you think about it and you're like well hang on why do ghosts do this like what's the per <laughs> you know that like, hey but they're can, ghosts why, why do they do anything exactly and you can you know that's not really what you meant to focus on it's it's you know if you do that you sort of it's it you're missing the point like um so in in haunted the final track is that him doing the the, the crying of the little dead girl probably the there? yeah I, I would say that that's disturbing yeah yeah spooky children are a bit of a recurrent theme as well too so it's uh, across a lot of the albums so it's uh, i think ho horror movies might might owe him a debt that, that came later you know like the 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 spooky dead kid trope yeah it's it's interesting because he's not done a huge amount of voiceover work or anything like that like he did a guest appearance on like metal Ocalypse, i think I, which i read about that yeah i never yeah. noticed when i watched the show i didn't know of course well i don't think he's doing that voice in it like i think he's just kind of like talking as like i i have seen the episode he's in uh, but i don't remember it that that well it's it's been oh geez 12 or 13 years since i watched metal oh, yeah. so like <laughs> same i mean yeah yeah <laughs> um but i don't i was expecting him to show up and sort of be like ah you know and he, he doesn't i think he just kind of i'm king diamond yeah exactly that, exactly like the, the the voices that that brendan small and the other guys do on metal apocalypse i i think it almost sounds like they're kind of doing a parody slash homage to the King Diamond type voice, you know, that's definitely One, has to be where that comes from. 100%, 100%. That's what, that's what they're going for. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no question. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he's done a lot of guest vocals for other bands. Um, like he, uh, he appeared on one of Volbeat's albums. Um, he, he's done various live performances with people like uh, Metallica, I, I mentioned earlier. I think he did one with, like, uh, after Dimebag Daryl from Pantera got shot, he did, like, a tribute thing at, at one of the OzFests. Um, you know, the, and the, there's been stuff like that over the years. And also when um, Dave Grohl did Probot, um ah. back in 2004 i think that came out uh mm -hmm. it was a song that he did on that called sweet dreams from memory where dave Grohl okay. did the music and he did the vocals so yeah yes uh the uh classic eurythmics cover uh yeah I, yeah I, exactly I, ne never that's the one yeah <laughs> <laughs> every everybody has their version of sweet dreams exactly um, it's it's illegal I imagine to start a band without writing a song called sweet dreams <laughs> at some point <laughs> i i imagine his guest spots were maybe doing leads i can't imagine him as as a backup vocalist of any sort mm, no i i was listening to a cradle of filth one the other night um uh and he was kind of back up on that uh which surprised yeah. me but danny yeah. filth from um uh cradle of filth is sort of very much in that king diamond wheelhouse i don't think he does it as well but that but that's more indicative of how i feel about cradle of filth in general than um 
you know, uh, than than a reflection of his uh, talents, you know. So imagine yeah. two two King Diamonds dueling yeah. vocals with alternating vibratos. It's madness. Yeah, <laughs> and the the Volbeat one he did was kind of more of a duet, but it was one of those ones where you like were you actually in the studio together at the same time when you recorded this because it doesn't doesn't like yeah. sound like a duet. It sounds like parts were recorded very separately. But but I could be way off about that. That that was just my impression so like when they did uh biggie smalls duets after he was dead like, yeah do, yeah maybe maybe don't not. do that to him yeah may, maybe not maybe not that sort of glued together <laughs> you know? <laughs> not um, that morbid i think i think probably the one that i think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention um uh sharon though the uh the, the song sharon mm -hmm. how does that one start off like <laughs> i okay so the song to my ear starts off uh what does he say hello my welcome my friend my name is karen yeah, yeah. um and I, I i wasn't sure how to actually pronounce is is this the guy that um uh guides you across the river sticks yeah yeah the boatman yeah 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 so, is it pronounced sharon like, uh, like I, ozzy osborne sharon no i th i think it probably like because it's because it's a greek word so it probably is meant to be that hard k but like so it's karen or karen yeah it's or probably like karen or, or something like that like but yeah it just sounds screaming karen yeah <laughs> so it's a very 2020 thing yeah if you're living in if you're listening in 2020 you can't not hear my name is karen <laughs> they, yeah. all that joking aside it, it was a good song the, but the, <laughs> you, you gotta get past that truly he had a grasp of the scariest thing of all karen's like you know <laughs> like imagine if you you know you end up in the afterlife and and you're greeted by someone yeah telling you their name is karen. speaking to the manager i am the man of the underworld like <laughs> the manager's the devil what? <laughs> what? <laughs> my haircut didn't send me to heaven you know <laughs> well oh boy uh and then as as we mentioned some of the additions to this album come with bonus tracks uh we mentioned uh so what's the what's the christmas song like well so i i first listened on apple music and the only uh bonus track on it was called the lake yeah, yeah, um, yeah, which is the same as they, on the version I have, yeah. Okay, I, I don't know which versions had this other one that I just recently found out about called No Presents for Christmas. <laughs> Did, was there like a a metal um christmas compilation what was this no for? so what sort of happened was after merciful fate broke up and they were putting together the king diamond the band um he put out a single just called no presents for christmas i think trying to maybe ride the multi wave or <laughs> yeah you know like so i don't i don't fully like it but it was just released as a single and because it only ever came out as a single rather than on any of his albums I think it's just become one of those yeah. ones that they tack on to. Um, <laughs> that they because it was on. that that era that time, I guess. 
it, it, it's funny the idea that that novelty music was such a like Weird Al was uh, topping the charts and everybody yeah. had to get in on the novelty game. And and this was 1985 as well that No Presents for Christmas came out, so maybe it was kind of a bit of the thumbing the nose and all that stuff. Like you know, do they like all that Bob Geldof stuff and do do they know it's mm-hmm. Christmas time and like all all, <laughs> all those like all of those um well-intentioned but maybe problematic in hindsight like uh charity records that were being pumped out around that era war is over oh yeah yeah geez that was <laughs> that that was a bit earlier but yeah um so, so it's, this, it's no it's, this has look, i i will not tolerate any wonderful christmas time disrespect on this podcast <laughs> though <laughs> i don't uh, wh- where do you really land on that song i mean <laughs> It, it's do do you actually like it? It's total dog shit, but I still yeah okay. In, but I still kind of enjoy it. Like it, it's <laughs> it's one of the I spent many many years working in retail, and so Christmas songs in general, hate them, hate them. I never want to hear mm, yeah. Cry Carey's Christmas album again ever. And it doesn't help that Mum used to start blasting Christmas records from like mid October as well. Yeah, like so it, all that stuff has just been drilled into me. I hate it. I hate that Cliff Richard Christmas song, um, Mistle- Mistletoe Wine or whatever it is. Uh, but you know, Wonderful Christmas Time was never sort of on rotation enough to become that annoying. So even though it's an awful song, I can yeah deal with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the deeper. Yeah, it's one of the deeper cuts of the the department store christmas song yeah you yeah. Do, you do still hear it and it is it is a little bit obnoxious um the, this one uh king diamond's uh no presents for christmas which i love i love that the, the darkest thing uh, uh the darkest idea is that you're going to get no presents for christmas <laughs> yeah. that's your punishment <laughs> so it, it it's like halfway between um like goofy riffing on like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and then just like uh, straightforward uh, King Diamond metal, uh, you know, the, what you'd expect from him. <laughs> yeah, I... It goes back and forth. It's very odd, and I still am not totally clear. I don't know if he kind of... Because even now, like, I, I wouldn't say he... You, you definitely have the... He's actors who sorry singers who have big stage personas who like end up parodying themselves and and they know it and like they know how silly the persona is and it sort of moves into that territory um and sometimes beyond yeah but but even i'm thinking more like people like say like you know robert smith from the cure for example like he must have a certain degree of awareness that he looks a little bit silly when he goes on stage now as opposed to like the sort of (laughs) and i'm not saying you should change but like you know it is a definite contrast with how he looked sort of donning that in his makeup in his mid-20s you know um i think marilyn manson's aware of it because he changes his look every few years and some of that is born out of like um uh you, you know aging and sort of thinking well i can't wear the bondage vest and g-string on stage every night mm. like maybe it's time to switch to this bowie-esque suit or something you, you know that yeah. kind of thing like but he's aware i mean he's painfully aware of, of 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 his image yeah exactly whereas with king diamond i'm not sort of sure like whether it was meant to be a riff on like a deliberate self riff or if a producer just came to like i honestly don't know it's not something i've heard <laughs> talk about a great deal 
deal. So, um, but yeah, it is. It is. It's incredibly silly, but it does slap. Oh, like yeah. The- <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the parts that slap slap. <laughs> Do you know anything about the production of of uh, the uh, debut album itself? Not a great. There's not. There's not a huge man out there. Like I assume they just went to some studio in Denmark and kind of punched okay. it out. To be honest, it's it's not. Yeah, I didn't know if they traveled to you know New York or, or London or. or I I don't think so. I don't think that, like a, a, a few, like, I think part of the reason Metallica went to Denmark to record Ride the Lightning and um, Master of Puppets and stuff was because it was cheap. You know, <laughs> oh. like yeah, I, I didn't. I'm not a Metallica person. I didn't realize they they did that. But those are all albums with with great production. Yeah, well, so they recorded. Uh, if memory serves, it was Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets were both recorded in Denmark, um, and they had that. Fleming Rasmussen, the the producer who's allergic to bass, apparently, um, <laughs> uh, sort of uh, who who I do like, and I do like the production style of those albums, but it's it sounds a bit thin these days. Like, I think um, we I think we talked about, and this is. I mean, we haven't even talked about the double kick on 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 Fatal Portrait. It's uh, it's one for the ages. I think it's great. Yeah, but I think you and I, you and I talked about the the thinness uh, of of the the bass guitar and and that old production style might have come from, or my theory at least was that um, uh, producers and engineers were so desperate to make that double kick so out there and right up front that they would carve away the uh the, the eq on on the bass guitar to make room for that double kick and, and until there was nothing left of it yeah the, the high tinny the high end and i i think too like because this sound to some degree was kind of being pioneered i guess i don't think a lot of people had a good grasp on how to do it either like and and yeah and now it's sort of evolved, like, and you do hear new bands putting out albums that you know objectively sound like shit, but it sort of works for the atmosphere <laughs> of it. Um, and th- there's that too, like, there's budgetary limitations, like you can't afford a good mastering studio, like you, your equipment isn't that good to begin with. Like this is a pre Pro Tools and like plugins kind of kind of environment that we're recording in. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's interesting though. Like I don't I don't. But it fully sounds know. good. Yeah, well, I mean, well that's the thing. Pedal Extremely 1986. Yeah. yeah, it's got the gated drums I, and that kind of thing, but it's not like yeah, yeah. I I have no complaint. Well, the the only complaint, very slight com- complaint. Maybe it's just a matter of taste. Uh, if if I were the mix engineer, <laughs> I I might have pulled the vocals down into the mix. Uh, th- Three decibels, maybe, maybe a little more. <laughs> I, um, I don't th- think that's a totally unfair criticism, but I think it's also, yeah, you've got to look at it in terms of like they were marketing it off his name, so of course, True. you know, like yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think that's that's probably not a totally unfair critique either. The, yeah, they, they, they are very good, obviously. So much talent in the vocals, but they could they could sit in the in the bed of music as as one of the you know just one of the instruments, which they are. Um, rather than kind of eat up the the whole mix, uh, yeah. not that they do, but no. Uh, but I think that, I think that's a common thing with metal production, like the drums and the vocals. Um, and yeah. and while I appreciate that's become kind of a, a genre trope, <laughs> I don't know that it's always the best way to approach it. But I think now 
because because stuff like this has been produced for so long now you have producers who've never worked in anything but metal and they produce things a certain way and you, you know like oh yeah become like in in back in the day no one knew how to produce it now everyone knows how to produce it but you know is there maybe room for some rethinking of some of that probably yes like <laughs> now it's like automatic it's like well here's our uh, our our presets for the drum kit actually we're just going to go ahead and use drum samples and re- replace everything and mm. Uh, here's our preset uh, guitar settings and uh, you're all good to go you've got a metal album yeah yeah and i think that definitely you get that variability from company to, from you know band to band and and some people do that and some people would be very like organic or nothing kind of thing but it, it probably studio you're working with and and that kind of thing and and there are definitely bands i can think of who who would kind of be in that wheelhouse (laughs) and then then there are others who are yeah there's there's no way who (laughs) they they could that they did something like that because it it certainly doesn't (laughs) yeah it's it's uh it's an interesting spectrum style of production there i think my pick for banger on the album is probably lurking in the dark um Mm. Yeah, that was probably the standout. I I like I do genuinely like them all, but that was probably the big standout for me. Um, I should drop in a drop in a sample there too. Uh, um, yeah, but there weren't. I think the only one I'd probably skip if I had to is that little instrumental right before uh, "Haunted" that "Voices from the oh, Past." Oh, you know what? Yeah, I lo- I was gonna say don't sleep on that one. I really like. Oh no, it's it's really cool. I'm just saying, like, if I absolutely had to, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Um, um yeah i don't know i don't know what i would skip but uh i i like that this album included a there are a lot of of long drawn out stuff and there's definitely a lot of vocal on this album i like the the break of a short little instrumental that had some some really cool uh drumming it really kicked up the tempo mm. um, that there's i believe that's the one with a lot of fast uh guitar tapping stuff i'm not a guitar person so i can't describe it very well but <laughs> yeah and then you sort of lead into the last track and like the story rounds out and so on and yeah uh, yeah so yeah and i yeah my favorite so my favorite would be looking the dark the one i'd say don't sleep on is probably dressed in white which is the last track side and that uh, to me was probably the one that jumped out the most as being like look in, in some ways this is almost like a third merciful fate album because at the time like it's got half the band there <laughs> you oh, know yeah. so of course it's going to sound kind of similar and i think at the time like merciful fate did eventually reform in the early 90s and recorded a bunch more albums so we did get more from them and they just reformed again in 2019 2020 is going to be their big two a year um Hopefully they were going to come to Australia. Like I was hoping that they might mm-hmm. Australia because they never have. But of course now, like uh, 2020 being what it is, no one's going anywhere. So. <laughs> 2020 was going to be everyone's big tour year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we've just all gotten it's, uh, slammed. Sad. It's yeah. heartbreaking <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah, th- those, those are my two big picks. And then look, again, like voices from the past is awesome but if if i if i absolutely had to skip one i'd probably skip that but you know you, you don't have to skip anything that's the beauty of listening to yeah it I, don't, I, I mean <laughs> th- there are only nine nine songs here and i didn't i didn't find any of them bad i don't know that i want to skip one um mm. yeah i mean banger is probably halloween uh don't sleep on it i'll say voices from the past yeah 
Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, well, I guess then, now I'm probably going to do more episodes about other King Diamond albums into the future. So I don't want to, I don't want to like round everything off about him or say this is where the story finishes, but maybe I'll just fill in some yeah. stuff on what's, what's happened since he, he, uh, recorded Fatal Portrait. So, uh, a couple of years later, uh, Gene Simmons threatened him with a lawsuit. Uh, as far as I can tell, that was in 1998 because he felt that, King changed up his makeup too much, and all of a sudden he was looking just like Kiss, which which I oh good lord. If you if you Gene look Simmons at it. is such a scumbag. <laughs> yeah, look, I as a kid, Kiss were one of the first sort of heavy bands I heard, and so I've retained a certain fondness for them, but I do not remotely like them as people and no uh, like i i wouldn't wear a kiss shirt put it that way like and and don't don't get me wrong like uh, th this is not to like have a go at people who feel some kind of way about kiss i know they inspire very passionate devotion and i know sure. that they're sort of it's very difficult to talk about stuff like separating the art from the artist when you're talking about someone like kiss because they're such a sort of big cultural presence in and of themselves that mm -hmm. it you know, you have people who are like diehard Kiss obsessives in the 70s and have remained as such, but have never read an interview with Gene Simmons and <laughs> seen what a jerk he is, you know? <laughs> Yikes, yeah. Yeah, so, so I, don't, I don't begrudge anyone who likes Kiss. Like, it's more just that uh, I find it kind of gross. Um, so... Uh, he so Chris Jericho, the who I don't know if you know or not, Blake, but he's a wrestler. Um, he used to used to. I've be heard with, of him. Yeah, so he used to be with WWE. He's with AEW now. He runs his own podcast, and he sort of has been running it for a long time now. Like he's sort of one of the first big wrestling podcasters, and he does yeah. have interesting guests on there and some very high profile people. But he also is increasingly turning into this sub Joe Rogan kind of format where he just oh, it's no. like insane conspiracy and sometimes outright racist sort of sort oh, of view. no not not like 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 you wouldn't have like david duke on you know but he's sort of like let's talk about the illuminati and like let's conveniently look over look the sort of long history of anti-semitism that's been associated with the illuminati conspiracy you know that that kind of thing like he, ah. he's i don't think he sits down trying to be awful but i think he's not very thoughtful of like how big his platform is and who he promotes you know like yeah well does he use it to sell male virility pills uh no but he did have donald trump's son on there promoting his book some months ago <laughs> so you know that oh boy yeah but i mean like it's not like the warning signs weren't there before you know so um right. but so he had simmons on the podcast back in 2017 he asked him about it as Simmons says, it never really escalated to a court case. It seems to be more of just a cease and desist letter sent out. So Simmons said, quote, The letter is cheaper than testing us in court. We've never lost a case. By the way, I'm a fan. I liked uh, you know, his stuff. I thought he was doing cool stuff. Make up your own stuff. Don't come into my house unless you're invited. End quote. Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah, kiss. Totally, totally similar to Merciful Fate. Like, <laughs> um, so in 2019, King Diamond was talking to Kerrang and said, uh, "Look, I think it was a good business move because they saw they could get some good publicity out of saying, hey, this is copyrighted.' And I saw, and it was. I saw the patents, but I still didn't think what I was doing looked anything like what they were doing. Gene Simmons is very smart when it comes to business." and i think it was a business decision end quote which is a very gracious thing of king to say i it think really <laughs> That's, he's he's being so nice about yeah it. yeah 
I know. Did he really change up his makeup to please Gene Simmons? He changes his makeup every few years. Um, sure, so, sure. like, if you you can see pictures of him in black rose and stuff like that, and he's got kind of like a proto what we would recognize. Um, and then, like, when he was in Merciful Fate, he had a distinct look. And then when he left, he altered it a little bit to be King, you know, solo King Diamond. Yeah. Then a couple of albums in, he changed it up. And that's when Gene Simmons got upset. And then he changed it up again, I think, in part to avoid that lawsuit um, or the risk of a lawsuit. And the look he has now has stayed fairly consistent for maybe the last the better part of 20 years now though there's been variations in there it's kind of like his face is white he's got black around his eyes and he's got like a mix of um inverted and regular crosses going all over his face and now he wears i've seen that look yeah yeah the top hat yeah yeah and he's got the top hat with a little baphomet pin on the on the front of it yeah so um and I think that uh, that's probably what he'll stick with because I think the I when when Merciful Fate get back together I don't know that he'll he might change back to a more like Merciful Fate look for that but I think there's a certain degree of like uh, he if you've ever seen any clips of his stage shows or anything like that he's very theatrical and I think you know there's quite a big production there and so I think there's that pragmatic element of like well I'm not going to look. I might as well wear the top and tails and mm-hmm. uh, wear this kind of makeup rather than try and like leap around in my leather vest kind of thing from, from the <laughs> mid-80s, yeah. But he, he's gone on um, pretty well. In 2010, he had a massive heart attack, um, which is very unfortunate. He had to have pretty substantial surgery, had a triple bypass, um, you know, uh, but he recovered from that, which which was good. I remember that happening and being very upset and worrying that he'd die for a while because it, it looked yeah. pretty touch and go. Uh, these days, he, he lives in Dallas. He's married. Um, he had his first Dallas, kid. really? Yeah, yeah, I know, right? He used to live next door to a, to a pastor who he was apparently quite good friends with. So, like, <laughs> you know, the, Can um, you imagine the sitcom? Yeah, yeah, the 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 the, the king, king and the past. Yeah, yeah, the king and the king's servant. You know, like the, <laughs> <laughs> the king. Well, he he's the king of kings. Yeah, he's he's who's who's the real king? King. Uh, <laughs> we'll just have to agree to disagree. disagree. <laughs> and then yeah, canned laughter. Yeah. I want to see that show. Yeah, I'd I'd watch it. I'd watch it. <laughs> um, it's probably a mega church. If it was Dallas, it's probably an ultra mega church pastor. <laughs> Yeah, well, having now been to Dallas, and I hadn't been to Dallas when I read this back in like 2005 or something, I was a bit like, mm-hmm. yeah, but now I've actually been there, I'm just like, what? Like, yeah, how would that work here? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It doesn't seem like a fun place for a metal person to live. Maybe they have a good music scene. I really, I've been there too, and it doesn't doesn't seem all that fun but i guess maybe there's that look i'm gonna generalize a bit here about like europeans and english people but that's okay like Mm -hmm. i'm i'm at that background (laughs) so i can yeah a lot of them are really just obsessed with moving to like obscenely hot places like you know the i see it with the english people at my work and the, the european people and they'll just go out and they'll get ridiculous suntans and i'm like guys you're gonna get skin cancer like don't don't fucking yeah, do this like, yeah but so i wonder if there's that element of like i just want to live in a place where it never rains and it's never gloomy or anything like that and i gotta say like texas fits that bill like and i guess it's, mi- it's miserable most of the year <laughs> 
Like, it's it, not fun. The weather's not fun. No, I I was I was there in May and I was dying. Like to be fair, oh, yeah. I was walking around in a leather jacket and Doc Martens. Was that the smartest <laughs> well, thing I've ever yeah. done? No, like, but um, yeah, it was incredibly, incredibly hot. Like I I just don't know how you cope with it personally. But yeah, the, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I maybe it's just that European thing of wanting to live somewhere where you can guarantee it will <laughs> never rain, and maybe certain <laughs> tax benefits to it as well. I think Texas is pretty oh yeah. blase on the income tax side of thing. I, I really. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of just like you know if you if you've got money uh you, you pay us or don't pay us we don't really care <laughs> but in in uh he's married his wife is about our age um i think they met when she started doing backup vocals for him on, on tour and um on a couple of his albums when um i think she was relatively young she was probably only about 19 and they met i don't know when they actually started dating uh, but they're still together now. Um, they had their first child in 2017. So, like, you know, that's wow. that's wild to me, like, having your first kid yeah. after you've had a heart attack and, uh, you know, uh, and you're already, like, 60. So, you know. Like, yeah. but, uh, that's crazy. But, yeah, by all accounts, he seems to be very happy. He never seems to have had any big scandals or anything like that. Gene Simmons trying to sue him notwithstanding. Um, and yeah, just hardly, just, hardly a scandal. No, no, that's the path of the course. You can't hit a certain level of fame without Gene Simmons trying to sue. Exactly. He will so, sue you. Yeah. It's inevitable. I'm, I'm awaiting a letter, a sternly worded letter, like right now. I mean, now. just for this podcast, yeah. we're going to get a cease and desist. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that, uh, yeah, no, he seems to be very happy. A new album was meant to come out this year, um, called The Institute, but obviously with coronavirus, it's uh, it's been delayed. It's going to come out next year instead, and I think he's going to go back out on tour. Though I would imagine he's probably keeping a pretty close eye on that too, because there's someone who's had a bunch of, um, yeah, uh, you know, bypasses. He probably is immunocompromised to some degree, though I, I you oh, know, yeah. I don't know the man. I don't want to speculate about his health too much, but uh, I think if you've had bypass surgeries, they don't encourage you to get into a risky COVID situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it it seems like uh, discretion would be the the better idea. Like, you know, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that's that's King Diamond and Fatal Portrait. So, uh, like, obviously, you know, I like I said, I think we'll do more King Diamond episodes into the future. So, if you've got any questions or points you want me to talk about, um, you can reach out to me at, at Lupine Transmissions on Instagram. But Blake, what what do you what what do you have to promote? Um, well, you, I'm also on Instagram. You can, I'm private though. You got to friend me at esteemed author. Um, Tom mentioned the podcast network that I do. Um, yeah. What's the website? The Ox network podcasts. Who I wish I, I wish it were more concise, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> ox dash network dot podient dot co. Man, that doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? No, it's um, fine. And when he says ox, he means spelled A-U-X, not not yeah, uh, yeah. not O-X like the animal. Just, exactly. Just to be clear, yeah. A-U-X. Mm. Sur- search for our podcast on, on all the major podcast apps. So um, disc- it's called More of That Presents Discographology. My band is named More of That. Discographology is like the word discography with, uh, with an ology. Spelled then, the usual uh, way. The usual way. You yeah, spell the usual way. Yeah. Exactly. Just just like it sounds. Uh, I have another um, 
podcast on there with my friend called Shelf Life, a collector's podcast uh, for you nerds out there who collect toys or just like a, a funny nerd comedy. And if, you, if you're listening to this episode, in fact, you may have actually come across me by me guest appearing yes. a couple of episodes of Shelf Life, which is funnily enough actually how Blake and I met maybe about, yeah. about two or three years. No, it must be about three years ago uh, now, actually. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even, it, it feels like it was not that long ago, but damn. Yeah, T- sure, time, sure. It was like no ep- episode five of Shelf Life or something like that, whenever wow. that came out. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, he, he's been a great guest on there. Um, my, then my wife ha- has a podcast on the network. So, sorry, Are can you, you just say pod? my wife the proper way, please? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, check out Borat 2 or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> my, my, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> when 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 do we get to retire that joke? When never. When never. are we it, free it, from it? It never. It's never my, going away. Like it's, <laughs> my my wife Borat uh, ha, has a uh, a podcast about young adult novels uh, called Are You There Pod. Check that out too. It, hopefully that's enough podcasts to, to keep you occupied for a while. Sorry that I have so so many. Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. Like, don't never be sorry for being creative. Like, well, um, creative is a very generous way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah. So I've been on Are You There Pod as well too. Can definitely recommend Jess and uh, jo- uh, our mutual friend Josh also appears on there too. Yes. So they like to talk about uh, spicy young adult books, which uh, date. <laughs> Oh, actually, spicy is not the right word. Like they like Some, sometimes they are. Sometimes they are, but and not always. Yeah, and uh, R.L. Stein, beloved childhood favorites, R.L. Stein, uh, and mm-hmm. also uh, you know the odd the odd cheeky bit of leftist politics. Uh, so yeah, good times. Uh, yeah, mm. we love to throw that in there. And I gotta I gotta plug my band. We're called More of That. We're streaming everywhere now. So uh, it's a it's it's very not metal. It's a Midwestern loud garagey uh, indie indie pop rock kind of thing, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's just thirty something dorky men rock. I don't, I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> it's not. It's nothing like Radiohead. Like the... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that would that would make us Radiohead, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no it's it, they're good. They're good. Yeah, you can find them at more of that as well too, and also on Spotify oh. and so on. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just I knew, I knew. I've listened, to, I've listened to you guys. Like the, the, he's heard it enough times. He knows the address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you say the f word in any songs though? Just in case we have any young listeners um, on here. We say we do swear a few times. There's some scatological references, but I don't think there would be a tipper gore sticker on it. I don't think we're that bad. <laughs> so, you know, parental discretion advised, but um, not mandatory. Kids yeah. welcome. Kids welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on today, Blake, and uh, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, watch this space and look out for the next episode of Lupine Transmission soon. Should I say thank you for having me? Or is that the- oh, no, no, no. We can, we can cut off. <laughs> okay. okay, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Um, All right. Okay, cool. cool.